Greetings. In Leviticus 23, we read about the Day of Atonement. If you would take your Bibles and turn to Leviticus 23, and we begin in verse 26. Leviticus 23, verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also the tenth day of this seventh month shall be the Day of Atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. This was a momentous day, a special day. It was a unique day in the course of the year. It was the only day in the year when the high priest was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies. This was a very special day. But when we study the Day of Atonement, we need to do more than just read about what the high priests did. Every action that God commands has meaning. Every action that God commands has a result. Here's an example. Let's go to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. And here we read about the Passover. You read in verses 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 about the selection of the Passover lamb. And you read in verse 7, They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. And you read of the commands regarding the Passover. But when they obeyed this command... Something happened. They were protected from the death angel. So, in Exodus chapter 13, as we proceed with the story here, in Exodus chapter 13 and verse 39, we read, They baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. And we read how they were told not to wait for their bread to rise, but bake it unleavened. You know, in the years after that, when they followed the command to remove the leaven from their homes, the nation, the people, became a special people, a sanctified or set-apart people through their obedience to that command. Physically, they were different. It set them apart. It reminded them of what happened when they left Egypt. And it reminded them of their responsibility to remove that symbol of Egypt from their homes. So again, we, when we read about the commands regarding the days of unleavened bread, the Passover and days of unleavened bread, there were things that happened. The physical things they did, they pictured, they represented, and they led to things that happened. When the Day of Atonement came, this, this very solemn day, their, their very physical actions also led to certain results. And again, it set them apart from the nations around. And much like the Passover, it reminded the people of their fallibility. And it reminded the people of how they depended on God's mercy for their sin to be atoned or covered. Let's go to Levit- Leviticus chapter 16 and read some specific instructions regarding the Day of Atonement. Again, physical actions they took that led to specific results. Leviticus chapter 16. And we read here 
of some specific instructions about the Day of Atonement. Very physical actions that were intended to result in, in a, a, a result. They were intended to result in a state of mind on the part of the Israelites. And we read here in verse 1, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And he said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil, before the mercy seat which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place. With the blood of a young bull as a sin offering, and of a ram as a burnt offering. And he shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. And we read, he shall be girded with a linen sash, and with a linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on. And then it says, he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats as a sin offering, and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. So we're reading some very specific physical instructions regarding the Day of Atonement. On this very solemn, very special day, we read how, verse 6, Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat or Azazel goat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell and offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat, or Azazel goat, shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and to let it go as the scapegoat into the wilderness. And then it goes on and talks further about very specific instructions that were to lead to the time when the high priest would go before God in the Holy of Holies. So, again, very solemn, specific instructions, very specific instructions for a very solemn time. But, as I said, every action that God commands has results, physical as well as spiritual. When we read about the Passover, there were results. When we read about the instructions for what they were to do, it resulted in the death angel passing over them. When they removed the leaven, when they were actually uh, baked their bread to go and on their journey before they uh, left Egypt, it, they actually were, it was a process of them doing something, and then as a result, leaving Egypt as as part and parcel of that uh, that haste in which they baked the, the bread. And when they look back upon these commands of keeping the Passover and days of unleavened bread, they were reminded of what happened, physical things that happened, because as a, as a result and part and parcel of physical observances and, and actions they took. When it came to the Day of Atonement, again, there were physical actions that took place that had results. In this case, what was the result of the actions that took place on this special day. What do the people learn? What do the people have the opportunity to experience? This, there was a specific lesson that they learned on this day, and it was more than just to how, how to go without food. And so I'd like to focus attention on this lesson today because that lesson is at the heart of what the Day of Atonement is all about. Let's begin by reviewing Leviticus chapter 25. 
Let's review as we go to Leviticus 25. As you're turning to Leviticus 25, let's just remember the actions that took place here in Leviticus chapter 16. Three things, basically. One, where there were special sacrificial offerings for the sins of the people and of the priest. And as you go throughout and read the whole chapter, which is, is very helpful to do on this Day of Atonement, please make uh, the time to read through the whole chapter yourself. But uh, you read about these special sacrificial off- offerings that happened. Uh, secondly, the people fasted. They afflicted their, their souls. And thirdly, there was a special offering of these two goats. So what was the meaning of these actions? What was the result? And in order to clearly see the answer to that question, we need to go to this other place, Leviticus 25, where the Day of Atonement is mentioned. So let's go to Leviticus 25 and verse 1 then. And we read verse 1, The Lord spoke to Moses on on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you, then the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruit. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. What grows of its own accord of your harvest you shall not reap, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine, for it is a year of rest for the land. And the Sabbath produce of the land shall be food for you, For you, your male and female servants, your hired man and the stranger who dwells with you. For your livestock and the beasts that are in your land, all its produce shall be for food. So we read about the the seven-year land's Sabbath here in the first few verses of Leviticus 25. When we continue on into chapter, to verse 8, here we read about something else. And you shall count, verse 8, you shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, and the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you forty-nine years. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possessions, and each of you shall return to his family. So, when we read about the Day of Atonement here in Leviticus 25, we read of an action that was taken on the Day of Atonement. Was this by accident that this happened on the Day of Atonement? Of course not. Of course not. You see, because a fundamental lesson of the Day of Atonement is that, or was that for them and is for us, was that it is a day of liberty. A day of liberty. When the actions taken on the Day of Atonement were finished, the people had been reconciled to God through the blood sacrifices that were done on that day. But they had also been given liberty. Liberty means, it means freedom. Liberty means independence. And liberty means liberation. The year of the Jubilee gave liberation. Let's review a little bit about what took place during this year. And again, to, to clarify, to make, uh, to make it clear here, the first area we're going to talk about as far as this important lesson of the Day of Atonement is that liberty was 
the key lesson for ancient Israel in regard to the Day of Atonement. And if you want to put a title in the sermon uh, as a whole, I'm going to title it, Atonement, A Day of Liberty. And that will be our, fo- our focus. So, first, we, we read about how liberty was a key lesson for ancient Israel in regard to the Day of, of Atonement. Let's read a little bit about it. We read verse uh, verse 10, It shall be a jubilee for you. And the Day of Atonement was the day on which it was announced. And he says, verse 11, That fiftieth year shall be a jubilee to you. In it you shall neither sow nor reap what grows of its own accord, nor gather the grapes of your untended vine. For it is the jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat its produce from the field. So we begin to read about some of the the implications of the jubilee year, which began with the Day of Atonement, according to what we read right here. Think about the implications as it would have been for the people of that day. He says, verse 12, Verse, verse 12, for it is the jubilee, it shall be holy to you, you shall eat its produce from the field. In this year of jubilee, verse 13, each of you shall return to his possession. Remember, back up in verse 10, when we read uh, the latter part of the verse, when it says, it shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his possession, and each of you shall return to his family, that, that uh, what is the, the words that are translated, his family, that refers to uh, the ancestral heritage of people. And, it, and the word comes from a, a root meaning to grasp. In other words, the, what you hold on to as a family, your legacy, your heritage. And so here down in verse 13, when we read about returning to his his possession, it's talking about grasping on to that which had been in their family. And he says, verse 14, And if you sell anything to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. According to the number of the years after the jubilee, you shall buy from your neighbor, and according to the number of years of crops, he shall sell to you. According to the multitude of years, you shall increase its price. And according to the fewer number of years, you shall diminish its price. For he sells to you according to the number of the years of the crops. Therefore, you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. And now think about what this would have, of, what it would have meant in the days of ancient Israel. Think of the implications Think about economically what that would mean and how they would, within a lifetime, if, if, you, if, you, do, if you think about the numbers involved here, once in the lifetime of every individual, there would be a chance for a fresh start. What would that do to the commerce? What would that do to the, uh, the, the way that land was cared for? You know, when you know that a piece of land is going to remain in your family for generations to come, what do you do? Do you uh, plant trees, or do you simply take what you can get from it and then move on? Or do you, again, plant trees that will be for your grandchildren? You know, some of the agriculture that is done in so much of our land today and in many places throughout the world is focused on what can be gotten from the soil and pushing the soil as hard as, as we can and fertilizing it in such a way that after a period of time, the land has nothing left to give. And so more fertilizer is required. And much of our topsoil in America has, has uh, uh, been uh, damaged as a result 
of that way of thinking. But if you know that land is going to remain in your family for generations to come, it would be logical that you would take care of it for the benefit of your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren, not just for your own lifetime. And as I said, you plant trees that take a lifetime to grow, but they'll produce fruit. You plant vineyards that will be for your children and grandchildren, not just for yourself in order to be able to prosper and to reap benefits today and tomorrow and this in the next few years. You're thinking of generations to come. Well, when economically, when a, when a, a mentality is in place here in a land, um, uh, along these lines, think of the impact of what it would do for a, a land. Think of what it would do in terms of families and bringing families back together. Think about what it would do socially, let's say for communities, where there's, there's a sense of stability and there's a sense of, of, of a tie to a community, to, to community, to a village, to a small town or, or, or city when this principle is in, is in play. I think it's fascinating just to think of, of the, of the impact of what this would, this principle would have on a land. I think in our own land today of what a, a jubilee principle would, uh, how it would impact our nation. Now, politicians would have nothing more to talk about because uh, nowadays it's how we're going to change things so economically our, our land can be improved and uh, you can have more money in your pocket and we can change taxes, we can change this and change that. Um, but if with this type of system, it, it really directs economic principles that, that take it out of the hand of policies that can be put into place that will help one segment of the economy or another. It, it, it changes the whole dynamic of the, of the conversation. I realize that, um, that uh, ancient Israel didn't have a political system like we have today. I'm just saying even the implications of this as you try to apply it to, to today are, are, are quite amazing. But continuing, he says, Verse uh, 15 or verse 16, according to the multitude, well, actually, so we read this. Verse 17, key principle then, therefore, by doing this, you shall not oppress one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. In verse 18, we read about provisions for the seventh year. Now, I understand the seventh year is, is a little bit different, but, but as you go through this section, think about Think about the spirit that pervaded life because of this principle of liberty that was sparked, you might say, or set in motion on the day of atonement. He says, so shall you, this is verse 18, so shall you observe my statutes and keep my judgments and perform them and you will dwell in the land in safety. Then the land will yield its fruit and you will eat your fill and dwell there in safety. And if you say, what shall we eat in the seventh year, since we shall not sow nor gather in our produce, then I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year, and it will bring forth produce enough for three years. And you shall sow in the eighth year and eat old produce until the ninth year, until the produce comes in, you shall eat of the old harvest. So woven throughout this section in Leviticus 25 is this this principle, this philosophy of liberty, of liberty from uh, from uh, uh, from uh, poverty, because of a stability in the land, also a, a 
a freedom from oppression by those who would seek to uh, to use their brethren to, for for financial advantage. Verse 23, the land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. And in all the land of your possession, you shall grant redemption in the land. If one of your brethren becomes poor and has sold some of his possessions, and if his redeeming relative comes to redeem it, then he may redeem what his brother sold. Or if the man has no one to redeem it, but he himself becomes able to redeem it, then let him count the years since its sale and restore the remainder to the man to whom he sold it, that he may return to his possession. But if he is not able to have it restored to himself, then what was sold shall remain in the hand of him who bought it until the year of jubilee and in the jubilee it shall be released and he shall return to his possession the whole section here reiterates again and again an economic system that provides liberty liberty from poverty and from financial oppression we read in verse 35 and 36 if one of your brethren becomes poor and falls into poverty among you then you shall help him like a stranger or a sojourner that he may live with you take no usury or interest from him but fear your god that your brother may live with you you shall not lend him your money for usury nor lend him your food at a profit And then a reminder, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. And it all began with the Day of Atonement. God taught the the people that being clean before him, being reconciled to him, and then obeying his instructions, even to instructions about how they would function economically, this would bring liberty, independence, from oppression, independence from poverty. You know, if we go to Leviticus 26, just the next page over in my Bible, we read of liberty and independence from poverty and from harm here in Leviticus 26. He says, You shall not make idols for yourselves, neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set up an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it. I don't want you to be in bondage to idols, to false gods, gods that don't exist. He says, For I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. I am the Lord, he says in verse 2. And verse 3, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I'll give you agricultural blessings. So he enunciates them in verse 4. I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshings shall last till the time of vintage, and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. I will give peace in the land, and you shall, you shall lie down. And none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts, and the sword will not go through your land. You will chase your enemies, and they shall fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. So a peaceful, harmonious liberty, independent from poverty and oppression, was what God promised. Isn't that what we wanted as a nation here in our land in this United States of America? And I realize this is going to uh, to those around the world. But 
Understand, in this particular land, those principles, the principles over which our revolutionary war was fought, was some of the principles involved independence from taxation, independence and liberty. Just like any little brother wants from a big brother, our early American forefathers wanted from their, you might say, their big brother in, in, in Britain. And so this is a theme that you find rehearsed around the world. Countries, citizens of different nations, even today, as you listen to the news, you listen to places in the world where, where people suffer oppression, political oppression, economic oppression, agricultural, uh, agricultural suffering. There's the, the, the desire from, from liberty, from freedom, from independence, from, from bondage of one type or another. And so we read that all mankind then really battles this same challenge and wants that same freedom from poverty and oppression. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. This is the same freedom that all mankind desires. Romans chapter 8. Really, Paul enunciates this very, very well, doesn't he? Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? And then he goes on and talks about how God's Spirit helps us in our weakness because we groan for liberty from the, the flesh, don't we? And then as he says here in the in beginning of verse 18, the whole creation groans. Back to Leviticus chapter 26. The children of Israel were taught that the only one who can bring that relief, that liberty, that relief from bondage, the only one who can provide that, who can give that, is God. Verse 9, he says, for I will, this is back in Leviticus 26, now we're picking up where we left off before, and he continues, he says, for I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful. I will multiply you and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new. I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God and you shall be my people, he says. Verse 13, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. Be in bondage to the Egyptians. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. I am the one who gave you liberty. When the Day of Atonement came, and the high priest went in the Holy of Holies, and went before God, offering the sin offerings, and then those special uh, sin offerings of the two goats, 
It was a day that set in motion not only a cleansing of the people and the ability for the people to come before God through the person of the high priest, but it also set in motion liberty. This 50th year, the Jubilee year, very specifically, it set in motion liberty. But the whole system of God set was actually epitomized bringing of liberty for each and every citizen of the nation. But God is the one who provides that. God is the one who gave them liberty from ancient Israel, and he was the one who provided the way of life that would bring them liberty from the oppression of one over another financially, economically, or from, from bondage. And, uh, and so he emphasized that he is the one who provides that freedom. God is the one who can give us liberty. Second Corinthians chapter 3. Second Corinthians chapter chapter three. We read in verse seven, but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. For if the ministry of condemnation had, I'm sorry, verse 8, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Now here we we come to the the parallel with ancient Israel as as he talks about what what is available for us. The destiny available for us beyond the, the flesh and the, the bondage that we're in today. And, and so he says, verse, uh, verse, uh, 13. Unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, he says, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. So they, when they obeyed God's laws and, and were faithful in doing so, then there was liberty available to them. But unfortunately, they would continually fall back into disobedience to God and never had a heart to obey God fully so that they could fully be able to to experience the liberty that was available to them that would come as a result of a heart of obedience to God because when it's only a matter of 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 obedience of the letter of the law and then and then a, a a reward that came for that, but then a forgetting of the protection of God. You think about the time of the judges, where again and again they cried out to God and they obeyed Him. Let's say perfunctorily, they obeyed Him for a, a little while, and then they began to forget. There was not a heart to 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 remember. There was not a, a heart to obey God with with their with their whole being, and um, and as a result. They fell back into 
a bondage to the Midianites, to the Amalekites, to one people or another, to the Philistines, ultimately. But God, he was, he was available to them. They just simply did not have the heart to com- completely give themselves to, uh, to God. But even verse 15, to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So with God's Spirit, and with God's Spirit permeating us, and our thinking, and our mind, we, we are able to experience liberty. And we're going to talk about that here in the next section then. But the Israelites, uh, again and again, even though God gave them he offered them liberty, even physically, they turned it down. They made a decision again and again over time to reject the liberty that God offered to them. But I want to go back even further because I've talked here for a little a little bit about how liberty was woven into the lesson of the Day of Atonement for the Israelites and how they could experience liberty if they would obey God. But I want to go back even earlier because... In reality, liberty was offered to all mankind, not just to the Israelites. So let's broaden the perspective for a few moments. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Here we come to the familiar account of Adam and Eve. And what we read here, again, familiar story is a story of the garden and how God, in chapter 2 and verse 15, took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And you remember how he said, verse 16, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So we know that, and we come to chapter 3, where we read how mankind, through Adam and Eve, they turn their back on God. How Adam and Eve were offered something by God. They were offered all the, 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 the benefits of the Garden of Eden if they would only uh, submit themselves to God's instruction. So we read here, as a result of the choices that they made, and we know how Satan, through this, this uh, account here of the serpent coming to them, he said, verse uh Four, the serpent said to the woman, this is chapter 3 of Genesis, he said, You will not surely die, for God knows that on the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You know what happened here? They took of the fruit. But as a result of taking of the fruit, we find that they now were in bondage. We read of the curse that came upon them. Verse 17, Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, so you disobeyed. You You were offered freedom from what's to come. The curse is to come. You could have been free from the ground being cursed here, he says. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both the thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Verse 22. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. 
to know good and evil. In other words, he said, mankind is taking for himself the prerogative to decide good and evil. He's become more like one of us. He's trying to pretend to be one of us. He is putting himself in the place of us, God, the Word, the Father, who, the Father and the One who became the Son. He is acting, he's taking for himself the right to choose, to choose what is right and what is wrong. But instead of that choice bringing freedom from, uh, uh, from, 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 you might say from the, uh, uh, having to do what was told them by somebody else, in this case, God, the result was confusion. Instead of freedom from deceit, and again, remember, the Satan, Satan the devil actually told them they were being deceived. He told them that God was lying. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 3. But instead of being free from deceit, they actually chose to be bound by it. And they were deceived by Satan. And instead of choosing God-given health, they chose the appearance of what was good to eat, as defined by Satan. And they were deceived. And they put themselves then under deceit. And they became enslaved to back-breaking systems of agriculture, for example, as we read here in chapter 3, verse 17 and 18 and 19. Uh, they put themselves... Uh, into a position of being enslaved to systems of agriculture that have consumed the lives of much of mankind and, and really now threaten to do so again through what we've done to our soil and water and even the genetic stock of our, of our plants and animals. But God, you know, what, what would it have been like to actually allow God to provide the food for the family of man? I think we can only imagine what it would have been like because we're so familiar with the system that we have today. And so, instead of choosing God's system to allow God to show how food can be produced for the benefit of our bodies, they put themselves into the system that has, has, has been with mankind. Instead of choosing the love of God, they chose the, the hatred and the bitterness of Satan. And as we see in chapter 4, where we read about Cain and, and Abel, ultimately Cain killing Abel in verse Eight, when he talked with Abel, his brother, it came to pass, verse 8 of chapter 4, when they were in the midst of the field, that Cain rose up against, against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And then it goes on from there. You know, we, we, we read here of the, the, the reality that the first man was murdered before even one person lived to see a natural death, at least according to what we read here. But mankind chose that. Adam and Eve chose that. And they chose to put themselves into a, a, a way of life that led to competition, led to deceit. We already talked about that. Led to hatred. Led to this uh, strife between uh, brothers. They chose bondage. And we see as the account goes on here in chapter uh, 4, 5, 6, we see the evil that was done on the earth before the flood. In Genesis chapter 6, uh, rather, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 4, I might just mention briefly here how we see how Lamech, verse 19, took for himself two wives. So he, ch he chose, instead of obeying God and taking one wife, 
as we we read earlier, was supposed to be. Instead, he chose to define the family as he wished. He chose to define the family as having two wives. Just a, a sample of what was to come in the history of mankind in terms of of what of a family matters. When we choose to decide for ourselves what the family is and how the family should function, we end up with confusion. Genesis chapter 11, after the flood was over and we read about the Tower of Babel, we can read how they chose bondage. They chose bondage in chapter 11 to a system of government that relied on the, uh, on the, the survival of the fittest and relied on competition as we read here in chapter 10 and chapter 11. So, back to, uh, back to, uh, Romans chapter 1 to the New Testament. As we read the first pages of the Bible, we read some examples, and I've just, uh, uh, touched on them. We read some examples of how God offered, uh, true understanding of how food was to work how a way of how a way of life that was to was defined by him he offered that which would give them freedom from deceit and uh, as i've described instead they chose to make their own way and as a result they chose bondage that's the uh, the uh, the point here even though liberty was offered to to mankind romans chapter 1 I think this is really a description of in sort of in a in a combined way of what we're talking about romans chapter 1 and verse 18 for the wrath of god is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of god is manifest in them for god has shown it to them for since the creation of the world his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and godhead so that they are without excuse because although they knew god they did not glorify him as god nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened professing to be wise they became uh, fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. In, in a sense, Paul is talking here in a summary statement of all of mankind, beginning with Adam and Eve, and and continuing through the family of of, of man. And it it's, it illustrates how the human family has willingly chosen to submit themselves to a slavery of mind to earthly beggarly elements you you might say as is described here in romans chapter 1 verse 18 through uh, 24 and and beyond so israel chose bondage mankind chose bondage as a whole they chose to disobey god and chose bondage let's go back to um, Leviticus 26, see if I come back here for a moment. Leviticus 26. In a sense, what we read here applying to Israel also applies to the family of man. 
we read here of the, the consequences for ancient Israel. If they chose to disobey God and how it would, they would become in, enslaved, we, we could apply this also, I think, in a general way to all of mankind. If mankind chose to defy God, they would be choosing bondage. Verse this here, specifically with the Israelites, he said, verse 14 of Leviticus 26, If you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments, so that you do not perform all my commandments, but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. And then he describes the bondage into which he would allow the Israelites to go. He says, I will even appoint terror over you. You know, the land of Israel, you think about what happened in the days of the northern tribes before they were finally taken completely into captivity by the Assyrians. You read about that time period, you read of of a a number of years, many years, where they were in in absolute uh, terror of the Assyrians who would come back again and again and drag parts of the people into captivity until the the deed was done completely. During the days of of the judges, you can read early on how, for example, in the days of Gideon, how the people were terrified of how the Midianites would come into the land and their camels and their livestock would, would overshadow the land like locusts and all of their crops, all of the green grass, everything was eaten down to, to nothing by the time the Midianites were, were through. And it, it says they would hide in dens and in caves because of their fear of the Midianites until God brought Gideon and used Gideon to uh, give them freedom from the Midianites. And, and so it's, a, it's an age-old lesson of terror that descended upon the people of God when they defied him. And it's a lesson that we're going to experience today in uh, our land here in the United States and the, the, the lands of the British peoples in particular. And uh, it was experienced by the ancient Israelites. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of the heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. Just like the ancient Midianites, uh, the same will be experienced by the descendants of Ephraim and Manasseh and the the, the modern-day descendants of, of Jacob today. I will set my face against you, and you shall defeat, be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. You will be in bondage. You will not have liberty. You will have oppression. And they chose, even though they knew that, they chose to disobey God. They chose bondage. Now, Let's go to Galatians chapter 5, and let's take this lesson, a lesson that was taught to the Israelites, a lesson that in a sense has been taught to all of mankind as we broadened it to Adam and Eve and, and to really through Romans chapter 8, we understand through all of mankind, but it's a, a lesson that is taught us as well. Galatians chapter 5 Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Through 
the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And through, in that sense, his, his uh, sacrifice that allowed us as that one high priest, once and for all, going before a God with that, his, the ultimate sacrifice, his, his life, we have the opportunity to be free from the bondage of sin. We have the opportunity to be free from the bondage that comes with the breaking of God's law and the doing, and doing our own thing, resulting in consequences that have been displayed through the history of mankind's going his own way. But we have the opportunity through the sacrifice of, of Christ to be free of the bondage that has, a, that has been laid upon all of mankind. The bondage that comes as a result of his, of his own, again, his own disobedience, his own choices. But if we make the choice, if we make the choice that is offered to us of accepting his sacrifice and then be submitting ourselves to him, we can avoid being entangled with a yoke of bondage that oppresses all of mankind. So verse 2. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he was a debtor to keep the whole law. Yet you have become estranged from Christ. You attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. So, in this case, specifically, he, he's talking about the concept that we can uh, be, and as, he, as he, he dealt with his audience, uh, he dealt with the challenge that they face of, instead of looking to the importance of, of, of uh, looking to, to God as, the, as our ultimate owner as a, and, and recognizing that Jesus Christ as the one who approached God and laid down his life is is the is the key to that not any system of sacrifices now, interestingly even though the sacrifice is pointed to freedom from bondage remember the ancient israelites the sacrifices that were performed by the high priest they freed them from the the, the guilt they covered the the trespasses you might say giving them freedom yet in the day of paul in the days that we're reading about here there were people who were in a sense, they were, they were so tied to that system that they were unwilling to accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that really was pointed to by those, by those sacrifices of these days. And, and so, so, therefore, they were unwilling to accept the ultimate freedom from bondage that comes through Christ's sacrifice. And, and so, this is what he was, he was battling. You know, if we are unwilling to accept the sacrifice of Christ and instead remain um, uh, dedicated to, a, to, that, to, the, to a, only a system, which is a shadow, we're no better off than, uh, than, than those who are not willing to submit themselves to, uh, to God and we, just, we simply choose our own way. So the, the, the point to understand is that liberty is offered to us through the sacrifice of Christ and that's the starting point from which we work. Let's go to John chapter 8 then. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. And he says, verse 
31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. God offers us the truth. He offers us freedom from deceit. Deceit that we can even harbor ourselves when we make choices Ourself, relying on our own experience, relying upon what we can see, relying upon what we, the conclusions we, that we come to logically, but that are in defiance of what God instructs us to do. Well, we, we can be free from our own weaknesses and the, and the consequences of our inadequate thinking and our inadequate conclusions, even with the best of intentions. If we will look to God's instructions and how and and the the heart that He desires to have in us, that is more than just the going through the motions, but but is it it drives us through His Holy Spirit to actually want to become like Him, to think like Him, as opposed to just do what we have to do, but to literally to think like Him. We have the opportunity to to re, to reflect that. Therefore, being free from the results of our own conclusions. So Jesus answered them. He says, verse 33, we're continuing. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So he, he, he sets it very clearly. He says, look, you, if you will, if you will recognize that, um, ultimate freedom comes not from your physical lineage by having your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents coming from Abraham, uh, recognize that Abraham, God worked with Abraham in a very miraculous and specific and wonderful way. But he said, you can't rely on that to, to bring you a uh, freedom. You need to rely on Jesus Christ, who will, will actually, by looking to him, you have the, the ultimate freedom from, as I've been talking about, freedom from a wrong understanding of the world around us. And so we uh, we have John chapter 8. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Again, just a, a few verses here in this last part of the sermon that, that focus on how liberty is offered to us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And begin here in verse uh, 7. For if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look um, steadily, he says, verse 7, at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance. Actually, we read this before, didn't we? So I won't repeat this, but just simply highlight it. uh, Key in on verse 17. Verse 17. Verse 16 will lead up to it. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So we 
on this day of atonement in particular, we, we think of how we need God. We need to have the understanding that comes directly from him. We, we need to learn the rules. And part of what a life is all about is, is learning the rules. But the other part is trying to live by them. And, and, and we know that we need God's help to know the rules but also to live by them. And when we come before God each and every day through the sacrifice of Christ, as we become at one with him, as we, we try to draw closer to him, we, we desire not only to know the rules, but also to, to have the ability and, to, and to, to gain the experience of actually living by those rules. Because so often we know the rules, but we... We choose to defy them in little ways. In tiny little ways, we'll hedge our bets and we'll justify our actions. And we will, in essence, we choose to defy God. And we need God's help because we will, we'll create excuses for ourselves, won't we? And, and our own ways of thinking are enticing. They're, they're attractive, but usually in the back of our mind, as God's Spirit's, Spirit works with us, we recognize that it's not a good thing to do. It's not a good thing to say. And, and if we do act that way, talk that way, think that way, the ways we're trying to avoid, and whether it be um, very physical uh, addictions or, or habits, or whether it be our own lusts in our mind or our covetousness or our pride and our vanity that we fall prey to that drive our thinking. And we, we, although we may not put our hand to any obvious sin, yet our thinking can be consumed. Our thinking can be driven. It can, it can be rehearsing anger, hatred, bitterness, covetousness, of lustfulness, pride, and vanity. And so we can be rehearsing those things and 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 that is not a, honestly that is not experiencing the way of life that God wants to us to experience knowing that we should not think that way is not good enough through God's help and it does have to come through God's help and we come before his throne and we ask for his help and we come before his throne we ask for forgiveness to forgive us of how yesterday or how today we allowed the exercise of of thoughts that really are in disobedience to him, we ask for his help in forgiving us for those and helping us to exercise better thoughts, thoughts of him. And it, but if we don't, then we are choosing, we're choosing the consequence of an exercise of antagonism to God. And, and in, the, the thing about it is, is that when we do that, we will experience the results as well. When we exercise in our mind, even though we know, on the one hand, that we shouldn't be prideful, when we exercise thoughts of pride, what consequence comes? Well, the consequence is, is a mind and ultimately even habits that will be the fruit of prideful thinking, of think thoughts of, of vanity. The results will, will, will ultimately be be revealed the results will come out and they will not be results of of happiness and and joy and contentedness in the way of god 
we will experience bad fruit. And so, stepping back, it doesn't have to be. Because as we learn through the Day of Atonement, we can have freedom from that consequence. We can, be, we can have liberty from that consequence. Just like the ancient Israelites could have had liberty from the consequence of disobedience to God. That liberty would have been a way of life that economically would have, have been prosperous. A, a way of life that would have brought uh, peace between neighbors. A way of life that would have brought prosperity as in people, as a nation, in towns and cities and communities throughout the land. Without fail, year in, year out. But instead, because they chose to defy God again and again, the result was bondage. It was bondage to elements of society that enslaved other elements economically, through usury, through financial oppression. And ultimately, it was bondage to neighboring nations who took them into captivity. You know, likewise we, we choose to take actions... And we need to choose to take actions that will then lead us not into bondage, but into success and into to oneness with, with God. And if we can do that, then we are exercising the lesson, a key lesson of the Day of Atonement. We're drawing close to God through the choices we make, and we're experiencing liberty from Wrong consequences from negative consequences. You know, the Israelites in Exodus chapter 16, they looked back to Egypt when they were in bondage. Exodus chapter 16, one example of so many. In verse 3, we read, Now the whole congregation in verse 2 of Exodus 16 complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And verse 3, the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we had it so good, when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. You have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You have put us into bondage, they, they claimed. When in reality, he had brought them from bondage. God offered them liberty, and as he was giving them liberty, all they could think of was was the fact that they uh, they were accusing God of putting them into a different type of bondage. God offers us liberty, freedom from Satan, freedom from confusion and and wrong-mindedness by giving us an understanding of his laws, his ways, his principles, his statutes, his judgments. And so we need to ensure that we don't treat this way of life as bondage. We don't become, uh, we don't look for ways out, for ways that we can get around a heart of obedience to God. We need to wholeheartedly uh, seek God to, to do our part to be at one with him, And if we do, we will ultimately experience relief from the ultimate bondage. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 as we draw to a close. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about our hope 
a hope of a resurrection. When we, when we have the opportunity to see the resurrection, that will be the day when bondage is, is completely removed from, from us. A bondage that we ultimately have towards, toward, to, to death. He says, verse uh, 35, But someone will say, How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. He begins to talk about the, re- the release that ultimately we will have from the bondage of this physical body. Because, you know, some of the, the, the times that we act wrongly are a result of of our of our flesh aren't they the way that we're we're made our our nature is a nature of selfishness of self-preservation of thinking of ourselves first and that's so that's why we always face that battle because in the flesh there will be no day there will not be a day that we live that we will not be subject to fleshly desires to our human nature. Our human nature will be with us until the day we die. And so, as a result, we have to constantly battle that, that nature. And uh, this is why we need God's Spirit to, to help us so we can be like Him, not like the flesh. But we look to a time when that battle will be over. We will not battle the flesh. We will not battle human nature as a spirit being. And what a blessing that will be. He says, verse uh, 50 then. We'll just conclude in verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. He says, verse 53, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. In other words, it, de- it, it, it defines uh, what sin is about. Verse 57, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now, we have the opportunity today to 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 contemplate and begin to begin to approach because we still we still battle as I said the flesh we battle Satan who will be bound again we we didn't focus on that specifically here over the last minutes but part of the day of atonement involves Satan and his binding his being removed from the picture very important part of the day of atonement but 
we've focused here on the opportunity that, opportunity that we have to focus on liberty, to focus on being re- re- relieved of, of bondage. And we have the opportunity for true liberty if we will only humble ourselves. If our own hunger, you might say, which today exemplifies our own nature, how as we go through the day, our belly begins to grumble and we begin to have those hunger pangs, reflecting the fact that we are flesh. We, we do have those feelings. Those, those, those are there with us. We can't avoid that. And that's like our own human nature. We can't avoid our nature. But if we will be willing to humble ourselves, as we are doing today, through this Day of Atonement, if we will humble ourselves and humbly approach God, our King, through the sacrifice of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we will have true liberty. We will have liberty as described through this day. You know, ancient Israel on the Day of Atonement, had a very special exposure, had a very special opportunity to, to see liberty and the land with the, Jubil- the year of the Jubilee. We have a, a bigger opportunity, a much, a much greater opportunity in the day that, that uh, we are resurrected and we become part of God's family. We have the opportunity to be, to be completely at one with God, at peace with God and with our, our fellow man. What a, one, what a wonderful insight that is into God's plan for us. Not just for liberty in a land, in a community, but, but liberty ultimately for the whole of the family of man. Liberty from Satan, liberty from our own human nature, and the opportunity to be part of God's family, looking to him, being guided and directed by him and his mind and his actions in a way that we have never been able to experience as human beings. All we can think is, God speed that day.